Welcome to For the Greater Good, a podcast brought to you by the Independent Grocers Alliance. And now your host, John Ross. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, videocast, actually, called For the Greater Good. This is a series of interviews with global CEOs talking about the topic of sustainability. And what we're really talking about is the things that these amazing companies are doing, our partners at IGA, these amazing things that they're doing to help make the world a better place for our generation today and for the children and grandchildren that follow along behind us. So these podcasts are really designed to reveal not just the strategy behind why they're investing in sustainability, but the actual tactics that these companies are using in order to make real progress in a very complex world. So my guest this morning is Mark Schneider. He's the CEO of Nestle. Good morning, Mark. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are so excited to have you on the show. It's really cool. You um, you are a uh, you are a fun and an interesting CEO, and I can't wait to get into this. I think for the audience, knowing that there'll be people from the industry and people from the press, and a lot of them, maybe Mark, you could take them a little bit about your background because you've got a, an interesting background for a CEO of a consumer packaged goods company. Yeah, so prior to joining Nestle in 2016, I worked for pretty close to 20 years in uh, healthcare. And I've always been interested in food and beverage. I would, have, I would have always described myself as a foodie, but one particular angle that I kind of learned in those years in healthcare is that uh, clearly healthcare can help to fix a problem once it occurs, but the best way to stay healthy is not to have problems to begin with. And uh, the best way to improve your prognosis, the best way to stay healthy over time, in my opinion, is appropriate nutrition. That's something I came to see from someone who was a fairly careless eater maybe 30, 40 years ago. Over the years, I became more and more interested in just about the right nutrition and how to balance the nutritional aspect on the one hand with a taste on the other hand. And so these days, this is not only a job for me, it's also a hobby. Well, so it's, it, it's, it's so fascinating. There's so much about what you said. Um, the first, the first idea is that, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's very common for young people to look at healthcare and food and nutrition and medication all as just kind of one set kind of master solution. But that's kind of a new idea that I did that food is medicine. And I think that's quite interesting. But the thing that you said that fascinates me the most is the idea that if it doesn't taste good, people won't do it. And, uh, Absolutely. So. so taste is the number one decision criterion. And uh, so that's why having the perfect food from a health perspective that gets neglected by consumers is no solution. So it has to be a balance. And by the way, it's not about all of these dimensions combined into each and every food item. It's more about the complete diet. So if you follow generally a healthy diet, there is room for some indulgence. And uh, it's, it's important to be aware of that. Well, I think there, there we have some people uh, thinking Nestle and knowing knowing your fam famous products in, in the chocolate world and the CEO from a healthcare background talking about nutrition right off the bat. How do you, how do you address when, when people ask you about that? Well, I mean, a lot of people in the States do know us for our presence in chocolate, which, of course, is one of our historic pillars of the business. But um, these days and for many decades now, it's been so much wider, really covering Virtually every food and beverage segment, uh, coffee, pet care, um, uh, center of the plate uh, items, uh, sweets, uh, ice cream, uh, and also um, infant nutrition and medical nutrition for you know special medical purposes. 
So I think we're covering the whole gamut, and uh, that gives us a very broad exposure to when people consume food and beverage. So um, switching to the topic here for a second, you know, as uh, you and I sit on the uh, on the board of this really interesting uh, company called Consumer Goods Forum, which is a consortium of CEOs, CEO level folks from all over the world, retailers, manufacturers, they get together to talk about sustainability. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about your role and and some of the uh, some of the areas of focus because they they do a lot of things, but 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 you've got a couple of areas of focus. Yeah, so in my opinion, this is a good platform when things have to happen at a more systemic change, uh, when it's not so much about competitive stances, but rather all of the manufacturers, all of the retailers trying to pull in the same direction. And uh, this could be on nutrition-related items. It could be on sustainability items. Uh, clearly, as an industry, I think there are many of those um, areas of common interest, and the Consumer Goods Forum is a good way to bring all of us together. I co-chair the um, health and wellness pillar there, and uh, so this is the one that's particularly focused in on uh, fostering healthier lifestyles, um, not only among our consumers, but also among the people that work for us. And in addition to Nestle, we have uh, two other companies involved in the co-lead here. One is a manufacturer from the consumer health area, and the other one is a retail partner. So here again, you're trying to, you're seeing, you know, how the setup is is, is geared towards manufacturer retailer cooperation, which is so important. It really is a unique, uh, and I can't think of any other industry event or anything which brings together people from all the right disciplines into a room, and everyone in that room is a global CEO. And if they put the resources and uh, focus in their companies behind something, we can make stuff happen. It is exciting to see both your leadership in that, on that board, but also also uh, to be uh, to able to be in that room and be a, a partner to some of the amazing things these companies are doing. Mark, one of the things that I think a lot of people, especially retailers, think in the sustainability world is that somehow it's sort of altruism, right? It's something you do. It's just like, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, I, I have to be involved in this either for personal reasons or whatever, just because it's the right thing to do, as if it, there isn't a business case behind sustainability. And the thing that has amazed me over and over again with these companies is they're investing in it because it improves shareholder return. So I thought maybe you could speak a little bit about, about your economic view on sustainability and what that means for Nestle. Absolutely. And so we feel strongly about our sustainability initiatives, but uh, they shouldn't be seen as altruism only. I mean, obviously, we're all not just executives. We're also fellow citizens and we want to do the right thing. But we also have a fiduciary duty to do the right thing for the company that we work for. And so insisting on a business case to me is important. Uh, to give these sustainability projects sustainability, no pun intended. Um, if you don't have that, if you don't have that business rationale underlying each and every project, you simply will not have the staying power in more challenging times economically. And um, so there's essentially two directions that help make a business case. One is, of course, the consumer. So you have to take your sustainability benefits to the consumer, make the consumer appreciate those. And then the other one is increasingly regulatory around the world. So the cost of doing nothing along a number of these dimensions, whether it's plastic waste or greenhouse gas emissions, is clearly going up. And if you do something, if you invest in order to lessen your footprint, clearly then that regulatory exposure is going to be lower. 
So those two things make the business case fundamentally. So, so regulatory pressure is so, uh, you know, the challenge there is that it's intensely local, right? It could be, it can, it, 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 it can change within the province or within the county. It can change, you know, at the state level. It can be in the community level, and everything from communities' policies on and the mechanics for uh, for recycling all the way up to uh, regulatory and tax pressures. They are intensely local, and that is IGA. 6,400 stores globally, $43 billion company, and everything happens at the very, very local level. Um, so, Mark, at the end of this, you know, what comes out of these calls is a challenge for us to work more closely together and to figure out how we solve solutions. But solving some of these solutions at the local level, that's what I hope will happen with IGA and our key manufacturing partners. Mark, I'd like you to talk a little bit. Why don't you give us some examples of the things that you're doing today, some things that you're intensely proud of, so the audience can understand, you know, Nestle's policies on sustainability. Absolutely. And before I get to that, by the way, the same applies, at least on a regional level, to consumer preferences, because not all of these preferences are the same across the globe. And hence, trying to tailor your message to the consumer you're trying to serve in a particular region, I think, is also important. Now, when it comes to global projects, clearly the flagship initiative in our case is our net zero roadmap. Uh, this is built on the assumption that um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions is one of our key sustainability problems of our time. Um, if we don't get a handle on uh, some of these emissions, I think the climate consequences will grow increasingly worse and uh, it'll place costs on all of us. And food and beverage around the world stands for about 25 to 30% of greenhouse gas emissions. So I know everyone in this area always thinks about heavy industry or energy um, generation or air travel, but uh, food and beverage accounts for a big part. And so we believe that um, this is an area where we can make a difference. So we were one of the signatories uh, to the Science-Based Targets Initiative. We signed that in 2019. We committed to net zero by the year 2050. In the year 2020, we issued in line with these rules, a time-bound plan on how to get there. It calls for a minus 20% uh, reduction by 2025, minus 50% by 2030. And this is independent of the growth of the company. So we kept growing, but our emissions have already come down below our 2018 baseline. We're very proud of that. So, you know, that I'm curious about how goals like that, targets like that, are received within the company because if you're a plant manager downstream or if you're somebody in the in, in, in the sales department, it may be difficult to reconcile a directive like that versus the intense pressure in our industry to produce, especially during COVID, where demand went up well beyond what their average factory could sustain. I'm just curious about how it was received in the company. You're absolutely right. It's a humongous challenge uh, to tackle and, you know, making that plan happen is a massive undertaking. Uh, the good news when it comes to Nestle values and the Nestle culture is that environmental responsibility and environmental concerns were always pretty high on our list. And uh, so it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to convince people of the necessity to do this. Um, the way to make it stick then, especially at times that are challenging, like during the COVID years, is rather than insisting on a one-size-fits-all across the entire company, you have to take the liberty to break it down into different uh, speed levels, if you will, 
either by category or by geography. And that depends on environmental factors. It depends on the kind of footprint that each and every one of these categories has. So for example, in our portfolio, clearly the uh, greenhouse gas footprint associated with dairy is a heavier one than for coffee. At the same time, many dairy products face a much more competitive environment uh, than coffee, which is doing really well for us. And so this is where different categories have to shoulder different burden levels. And um, I think by making the burden level achievable to the category you're talking to, um, I think this is one of the ways to, to really create traction inside the company and make it happen. Overall, on a consolidated basis, of course, we need to meet our targets, but it doesn't mean that everyone has to go at exactly the same pace. I love that answer. I think, uh, I think that it's easy to get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. You know, <laughs> comp sales issues or the trucks are showing up at the back room and they're you know, not complete or you, know, you got customers mad at you about masks and sort of down on your priority list. You know, wherever sustainability issues were, reducing waste, recycling, where these, you know, it was easy to rationalize pushing those initiatives down. And yet without the targets and the goals, you could go backwards. You could easily go backwards. And what I love about what you and your company have done is you set those targets and you continue to make progress despite all of those kinds of challenges. So I think that's amazing. You know, it's interesting to me. I love what you've done in terms of pay, making sustainability and human issues kind of linked together. So on your website, you talk about everything from uh, the percentage of females in leadership role to protecting human rights, to sustaining small farmers. And I think I'd, I'd like to, if, if you can, Mark, and I know I probably didn't practice this question, but it's a little bit, a little bit new, but I'd like you to talk about, you know, your commitment to that, because I think it's both laudable and it's fascinating. Yeah, and um, look, I mean, I talked a lot about the greenhouse gas emissions uh, reduction, but you're right. I mean, when we talk about a sustainable approach to business, one that serves mankind as opposed to just strip mining the planet, there are so many dimensions that need to be fulfilled. And so it has to do with our uh, emissions. It has to do with, um, uh, for example, the quality of our food and beverage products. It has to do with how we're dealing with suppliers and business partners, uh, uh, upstream, downstreams, uh, business partners. Uh, it has to do with how we deal with our associates as an employer. And um, so clearly there's lots of dimensions here from, on the one hand, some hard chemical factors such as greenhouse gas emissions and plastics waste, to on the other hand, um, softer and more social factors such as uh, human rights, diversity and inclusion, and uh, making everyone feel that they're part of one team nestled around the world. So there's so many dimensions and uh, just picking one and driving back to the hill is probably not doing the complexity of our business situation and uh, the food and beverage category overall justice. Mark, my daughter is in the food marketing program at a university here in the United States. And as part of that, I'm really curious how a young person, she'll be an incoming junior, um, you know, why food marketing? Was it just pandering to me or was there you know, some passion going along with that? But actually, what's her perspective on the industry? And, you know, one of the exciting things about a program like that is that it connects young people into manufacturers and to retailers and to wholesalers, allows them to see how the industry operates. And you see, I mean, our supply chains are long and deep. And we may be connecting with an individual farmer in some third world country that, you know, that, that, 
where we have to take responsibility for reduction of child labor or responsibility, you know, no one should have to pay to get a job, all the way up to reduction in, in, uh, in our usage of water in, in, in our plants here in a way that's very clear. And the complexity of solving this problem can both be overwhelming, but when you see what big companies are doing in order to solve it, it can be pretty exciting. Mark, Mark uh, would, the, would, there be, would there be a couple more examples that you would want? Like if someone said, hey, I'm thinking about going to work for Nestle, you, you would go, wow, that's a cool company in sustainability because they're doing these other couple of things. Yeah, so one of the major initiatives is our uh, reduction in plastics packaging waste. So clearly over the last 50, 60 years, plastics packaging has contributed a lot to avoiding food waste through longer shelf lives. And also uh, food safety, because uh, clearly it preserves the quality of the food in, in, in pristine ways. But um, over time, we've also seen uh, with some areas that have no recycling systems in place that uh, there's a plastic spillage problem and uh, plastic waste uh, accumulating on beaches and the oceans and uh, streams. And uh, so clearly uh, something needs to be done here. Uh, we're supporting recycling systems around the world where we operate. Uh, we are striving to make our packaging either reusable or recyclable within the next several years. Um, we are aiming for more than 95% recyclable or reusable by the year 2025 and then try to complete the rest in the next few years after. And uh, so that is another key initiative. How do you preserve the quality of that packaging and yet at the same time avoid some of the environmental consequences? Well, so, so, and we're part of that, right? Because if uh, the retailers are getting damaged product, if the, if the packaging isn't sustainable in the way that allows it actually to be sold on the shelf, that creates shrink and returns and that, that nobody wants that, or it creates damage in the ecosystem, which leads to waste, which nobody wants that. And yet the retailers are a major part because recycling specifically is intensely local connection with the uh, many of our owners sit on their city council or the local communist party or you know, whatever the local government entity is. And they have a lot of influence and authority. They're often mayors of their city and they have a lot of influence over these local policies in a way that can connect your initiatives upstream and our ability to solve problems at the intensely local level. I'm really bullish on, our, on, on the opportunities for us in the future to try to connect those two cords. If we do that, I suspect that between the you know a big retailer and a big wholesaler, there's almost nothing we can't do. So, so absolutely, and I think since you mentioned the Consumer Goods Forum, uh, this is another area where between manufacturers and retailers, a lot can get accomplished. And not surprisingly, reducing packaging waste and avoiding, in particular, plastics waste, is one of the key initiatives here that the Consumer Goods Forum uh, pursues. Well, so I think I think you know. From, from a global standpoint, these problems are, are, are radically different. From a North American standpoint, we have, we have, we're both the largest consumer market in the world, but we, we also have some of the worst recycling systems of any place in the world compared to Europe specifically. And so you look at that and go, you know, while it can be overwhelming trying to solve this at a, at a global level, in North America alone, where we have 1,700 stores, right, we should be able to do better than this. And it's one of those things where uh, coming out of calls like this and coming out of our initiatives together at, at places like consumer goods forums, I am looking for more tangible ways to connect with your initiatives and ours in order to, in order to provide a real solution. Because if you're just creating re re more recyclable product and yet, you know, like here in the city of Atlanta, if you don't put it, if you put it in a plastic bag, they won't take it. 
<laughs> it's just terrible. It's like, how do I get you the recyclable product? It's just a horrific problem in one of America's major cities. So we've got a long way to go, Mark. So if, if, if you were at the end of your career and someone's on stage giving you, you know, your, a, a speech and saying, you know, congratulations on all these amazing things you do, and you wanted them to say some things about you that would make you intensely proud. And I'm specifically talking about sustainability here. What, what would you like them to say? Well, just like in line with what we discussed earlier, um, leaving the company behind in a better shape than before, uh, but not just on one individual dimension, one specific metric, because that's not the reality of what we're trying to accomplish as uh, senior leaders and, and, and business people, but rather more on a balanced scorecard. I think this is uh, essentially what we're striving for. As we're looking at these sustainability goals, I mean, on many of them, you have competing objectives. So something may reduce plastics waste, but then may have a worse CO2 footprint or the other way around. And uh, so that's why just picking one and driving that one out of the ballpark is not getting the job done. So I wouldn't want to be remembered as the CEO who finally drove the greenhouse gas uh, emission reduction initiative to its limit. I would want to be remembered as the CEO that had driven that, but then also achieved um, balanced progress on many of the other environmental and sustainability priorities uh, that the company is facing. Well, it's, a, it, it, it's ambitious, but it has to be the goal. It ha, it ha, because it, to, to your point, if, 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 we're, if, uh, if our collective scorecard is moving up and down simultaneously, we really aren't making progress. I really love your answer. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for being on this show today, uh, and I know that we will continue to connect, and uh, perhaps the next time we do it, we'll talk about some specific programs we're doing between our two companies that we can both be very, very proud of. Thank you all for watching. Uh, feel free to pass this show along to any of your friends. There's a way to, uh, to easily forward it. Uh, there'll be links underneath it to the sustainability programs at Nestle. They're quite fascinating, and they're an excellent read, and I encourage you to take a look at that. And until next time, thank you for watching For the Greater Good. Bye-bye.